This episode brought to you by BRE Promotions. Whether you're just starting out or evolving your brand, BRE Promotions offers you expertly crafted disruptions that'll take you to the next level. BRE Promotions, we make your business shine. Visit us at brepromotions.com to schedule your free consultation. Hello, I'm Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Booming. I've been an investigator for over four decades in this strange, the unknown, paranormals, aliens, UFOs, you name it. I've come across almost everything. Some turned out to be true, some turned out to be false. But one case in particular has always given me a strange curiosity and interest. And recently, I had the opportunity to speak to the individual that this case happened to. What's coming up is over three hours worth of video interview that I did with an individual that had probably one of the greatest, not most important interactions with a being not of this world. There's a lot of controversy regarding this person and the entire subject, but I think there's a lot of truth there too. I'm not gonna judge. I'm not gonna tell you what to think or what not to think, but I'm gonna ask you to listen. And because it's over three hours, I'm digesting this information is gonna be a little bit more difficult. What I'm gonna do is break this up into three segments so you can understand what's going on. Again, I'm not trying to sell you. I'm not trying to promote. I'm just letting you know that you have an opportunity to hear something which I think is one of the most significant events ever. You are the one that has to make the decision. So sit back, put your headphones on, and hopefully enjoy. No, Bob Boomy! Hi, I'm Dr. Jonathan Reed. I'm with Nobody But Me with Brian Bowden. Hello, ghouls, goblins, friends, fans. Welcome back to Nobody But Me. That's Nova Boomy with your host, myself, Brian Bowden. It's been a little bit of a while, but... um, it's, it's worth it. It's the summer. So when you're seeing this, it's going to be the summer. This is going to be not only audio, but video. So you're going to be checking it out on the YouTube side, as well as the, the uh, Podbean side and all the other podcatchers out there. Um, and it's worth the wait because I've heard stories throughout my entire research career uh, in the subject of the paranormal, uh, specifically uh, UFOs, aliens, you, you name that type of, of genre. Um, and with the current climate where everybody's uh, screaming for disclosure, um, I still say to this day, disclosure took place when they released uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Dr. Hynek was in that. Um, so that's your full disclosure. But one of the most important cases, one of the most important events, um, almost, I, no, it's, I think it is even more important than Betty and Barney Hill, um, that experience alone, which was fantastic, is the story of this gentleman. 
you are going to meet today. It's exclusively for him. Uh, we became very good friends online, and um, I've been begging <laughs> for a while to get him on, but uh, because I've heard these little bits and pieces, tidbits about uh, uh, aliens and and a craft and and a, and some kind of device, but I'm not going to get get into it right now. I've got a ton of questions. I'm going to get it straight from the source, and it's my pleasure to welcome to the broadcast, Dr. Jonathan Reed. Doctor, how are you today? Very good, Brian. Thank you so much for having me, and it's really a, an honor to be with you. I it's, appreciate everything you're doing. Oh, it's it's actually my honor. We go back and forth with this, but I really do appreciate it. And as always, um, always been a, a very good supporter of your, and we became friendly online. Um, I, I actually believe your story 100%. Uh, there's, and there's multiple reasons. We'll go into it later on. But for those people that do not know about Dr. Jonathan Reed, um, and there, there are a lot of, a lot of my listeners, it's, it's all over. It's not just a paranormal or a UFO. We have artists, we have musicians. Can you please give us a, a, a bio, a background on yourself, and then we'll get into probably one of the most incredible events in mankind in my opinion. Sure, Brian. Thank you. Uh, let me first say that I'm a normal guy, okay? And, and I was a physician in medicine, developmental psychiatrics, child development, uh, which is basically a psychiatrist for children and their parents. I loved my career. I went to school for almost 15 years. I graduated from San Diego State with a, a basically a teaching degree. Then I moved on to UCLA, where I did basically all my pre-med and partially my med school, and I ended up at University of Washington for my final and my internship. After that, uh, that was about 1980 when I got out of school. Um, after that, I went to work for the University of Washington Medical Center, where I was a department head of the psychology psychiatric department for 12 years. I loved my job. Uh, it was what I was meant to do. And I I was friends with everybody. Uh, everybody liked the way I ran things. And it, it was just a good fit for me, just a wonderful fit. Well, how this all came about, this event that we're talking oh, yes. about, was on October 15th, 1996. I, like any other day, had my dog, which was Susie, a golden retriever, who usually went with me everywhere. She was literally a companion. She rode in the car. She went to the store. She went to the bank. She even went to work with me. Everybody I, loved her. Yep, as uh, she, she should be. That's she was seven years old and a really, really great, great dog. And so she went everywhere. So on this wonderful October day in the afternoon, I decided, you know what, I'm going to play hooky from work. And I'm going to take my dog and go to a place where it was it was out of the city. It was about 50 minutes drive east of Seattle. At the time I was living and working in Seattle. And we got into the forest, uh, the Snoqualmie National Forest, right. parked my Jeep just exactly like we always did at the end of this 
wonderful old logging trail, logging road, which was closed to traffic. And it was great because you could just park your car, get out and, and go. Your dog could run. There was wildlife. There was deer, raccoons, uh, everything. Right. And that day, it was a warm day, a little bit overcast, but we, we did what we always did. We had done this many times before. Got out, started walking, had walked for a little over an hour down this trail, taken one side trail, beautiful wilderness. I mean, just beautiful, pristine. She would run, my dog would run and bark and play and be out of sight and then come bouncing back, you know, and, and dog stuff, just dog, wonderful dog stuff. Well, after a while, she ran and would bark and then I kind of lost sight of her and I could hear her barking like she was going after something like a raccoon or a squirrel or something, which wasn't, you know, something I had to worry about because she'd done it before. But this time her barking started to change. The sound of her barking started to sound angry or, or if she was even in danger. So my thought hearing this, I thought, well, maybe she found a bear or oh. she found a, a wildcat and she's trying to tree it or, or whatever. But nevertheless, it gave me a moment to be concerned with the tone of her voice. And if you've ever had a dog for very long, you know that you get used to their voice, to their sound. Yes. And it's just like a language. And this dog was not a dog, it was a companion. It was a child to me, it was my <laughs> child. And um, so I kind of hurried forward listening to her barking and it became worse and worse. The sound became just like she was endangered and maybe being hurt by an animal, starting to sound a little bit of a yelping sound. Yelping. So I ran forward as fast as I could and <clears throat> I had a day pack just with some you know, uh, protein bars and a little dog food and, and really not much, some cameras. And I, I took the pack off, set it down, and I couldn't see her. There was a lot of underbrush in this right. area. And it was a little overcast, so in places it was dark because the tree canopy was very, very thick. Nevertheless, I could hear her. She was very close. So I ran up and I set my pack down and I grabbed a branch, a tree branch that was fallen. It was about the size of a, a long baseball bat. Right. Just just about that size, maybe maybe six feet long and the same dimension as a baseball bat. And I thought if I grab this, maybe I can untangle her if she's, you right. know, involved with something. And this all happened in, you know, just moments. And I'm thinking that I will find her any second, and I don't see her, but I hear the barking. So I ran up over this rise, and I literally jumped into the brush, into this foliage. Right. And I, I knew she was close. And the second I landed, I could see that she was involved with something, and I couldn't make it out clearly because it was vibrating so fast Vibrating almost like a paint shaker, if you can understand no, how that. Yep. Yes. Exactly. And it, it's and, and and what I saw was, it just was beyond my my imagination. 
my dog had this small creature, small childlike in size actually, and by by his arm, like she was biting his arm. And as I was seeing this, and this again, this all happened within about 10 or 15 seconds. He was throwing her back and forth, right over, you know. Really? She was totally attached to his arm. And then he would stop, and she would yelp, and she was crying. And then I saw something come from his, his arm go over the head of my dog, almost like an appendage came out of his, his suit, his black right. suit, covering her head, grabbing her by the literally by the top of her jaw and tearing her apart in front of me, killing her, blood going everywhere. It was terrible. It was very, very sickening and emotional, and she was screaming. And in a second, her body started to literally fold in on itself and, and kind of gelatinize and go into what looked like, and I know it sounds just so weird, but almost like a hole opened up into her chest, and she just started folding her body and her fur and, and this bloody stained dog into this hole, and it was literally a second, and she was gone, and the sound was gone, and she turned into some kind of white ash and just fell to the ground. I was so insane at that moment. I grabbed this bat that I had, and I took a step forward and I hit this little being as hard as I could in the head and I knocked him to the ground. I wanted to kill it. Oh, I, I understand and, that. And, uh. and I want you to understand none of this was forethought. This was only reaction to what I had seen. This gruesome act of, of my dog being killed, being torn apart was just terrible to see. And so I reacted, I knocked him down, and at the same instant that the branch hit his skull and started to fall, I started to fall at the same moment. But I fell with this crippling sickness, almost like something had grabbed me and made me totally lose control of my bowels, of my bladder. I was gasping for air. I fell to the ground. I had no muscle tone, no muscle control in my limbs. I didn't know what had happened. I was literally on, laying on my chest on the ground, gasping for air, like something had instantly hit me. <coughs> and at that moment, I was face to face with what I had knocked down, what I had hit I had breached his skull. I had broken his skull. There was blood and some cranial material on the back of his head. He was, as far as I was concerned, dead, and rightfully so. It was just a terrible moment. And I was so out of my element because this was not my paradigm at all. I had no right. idea what this was. I didn't think clearly at all. I was not even trying to conceptualize. I was trying to survive at that moment because I couldn't breathe. I just could not breathe. May I ask you, because yes. I, 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 I've been in situations like this before. I am a, I was a dog owner. Um, I lost him at seven, uh, kidney failure. Um, it is heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. And, and 
it it I'm I'm trying to express this without getting too crazy or religious, but if you don't understand, you're not a dog owner. Um, I think when when people talk about uh, unconditional love in this planet and the unconditional love of God or higher power, um, they're specifically, in my opinion, um, talking about dogs because dog spells backwards is God. It's it's, it's no coincidence. There's a love there. There's a, a companionship, like you were saying. So I've been in those situations with these, you know, where they're getting into a little bit of a a, a, a tussle with some kind of wild animal, and it's a quick thing. You grab something because you don't. You, it's not like you you want to go out and you know bring her bat with you every time you take your dog. You're oh, not expecting. I mean, exactly. Right. And you're right, Brian. When you have a, a companion, a dog. They do everything with you, and they provide unconditional love. No matter what your day was, what the situation are, all they want is to make you happy. Yep. And that's and that's the way she was. She was non-aggressive to anybody. You know, people could have broke into my house, and she would have been happy to see them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we've we've had dogs in the past, but when you got to that point, what I was trying to get to, I mean, I know I'm just feeling that sensation and this is probably taking no more than seconds or t- taking by while oh, all this was, is happening it, the entire event took less than 10 seconds from the time i witnessed what was standing in front of me tearing my dog apart until i was on the ground on the ground now part of that being on the ground i can understand you was it the overwhelmingness of what the hell's taking place right here, or was there? Do you think there was an effect? Looking back on it, no, from this there was creature? there was something else going on that was affecting my body. It was like the feeling, and I haven't. I, I can just, I can just imagine because I've heard enough uh, medical situations that it's very much like radiation poisoning. Right. Is that it was it was a pressure in my chest. All my muscles were just absolutely limp. I was throwing up. I was breathing, hyperventilating. I was afraid I was going to go into shock and pass out because I was breathing so hard. And this lasted for a long time. I mean, people don't understand when they first think about this, but I was on the ground without being able to sit up for almost an hour when this happened. And I was just wrenching in pain and my muscles and my, like I said, I was a mess. My bladder, my bowels totally released. I was a mess. And I was face to face with something that I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand what this was. Like I said, it was childlike in size. It was literally 53 inches high because later we, we did an analysis of this. But at the time, it looked like a small child. It was very light in weight, in size. Uh, it was grayish, a grayish, uh, pinkish color. Uh, its skin, its body was covered totally from the neck down to its feet and its hands with one material that was black. It was black like spandex. Spandex. And it, was, it, it had like mittens it had like it looked like it had a three-fingered mitten on each hand but there were no seams to it it was all one piece almost like it was form-fit or or sprayed on and it was black and shiny and and at at that point from the point where you you know wake up from you know falling down how long was it before you started to to address 
what was taking place? What just took well, place? And did I, think, I kill a child or what, well, what did I, I hit? I was thinking that you know? within, within probably 15 minutes, I was aware that I had done this act, that my dog had died somehow. I still wasn't sure what that process was because it was nothing like I had ever seen or imagined. I started to think, is this a child? Because it was so small. And yet I was, I was three feet in front of its head, bleeding. I could see its mouth. I could see its eyes half open. Um, I, I, I grabbed a stick that was on the ground near me and I poked it at it to see if it would move. And it, it was totally dead as far as I was concerned. It wasn't breathing. I could hear nothing coming from it. And it didn't move. Uh, but there, it wasn't a child. Was there an odor involved with this creature at the place? Not, not yes. necessarily be, you know, beyond your yes. own personal at that yes, point. It, it had a terrible odor. And it smelled like rotting fruit or rotting meat. And it was just a pungent, very acidic kind of a smell, and definitely a smell. And again, I was, I was reeling to find some kind of logic to what had just happened, but I could find none. Um, I, I would turn away from this. I would try to slow my breathing down so I wouldn't pass out. And then I would get up on my, just on my elbows and try, try to sit up. And I would fall back down because my the muscle tone in my arms and my chest hurt terribly, and it just was so weak. It, I mean, it was like somebody had unplugged all of my muscles. Wow! And and for I sat there for like close to an hour, I believe, just trying to slow my breathing down, just trying to not, almost not look at what had happened. Yet it was right there, and I couldn't deny it, but I just didn't want to look at it while I was trying to regain my breathing and my some kind of composure just for health purposes, not because of anything else. I was trying to survive. At that moment, I figured I was going to die. Something was happening to my body. It was that bad. So I finally set up, leaned against the base of a tree. I never got up on my legs for, like I said, at least an hour. And I heard a sound, I heard another sound in the area. And I, it wasn't a sound like nature. It was a sound like a low ebbing harmonic tone. And it was, you know, weaving its way through the trees and the brush. And I first I thought, it's a camper, it's another hiker. Maybe they've got a boom box or something right. that they're carrying. And I thought, great, because I needed help. And I, and I really hoped it was. But I waited and nothing, nothing. I could not see anybody coming down or up the path. So I stood up against a tree and I fell back down and I stood up again. And I tried to listen to where this was coming from to get a vector of direction. Right. And all I could tell was that it was somewhere down the path, not up the path. And I could see from where I was standing, I could see a, a little grouping of small ferns and trees that looked like a mirage. It looked like it was bending in the daylight just a little bit. And so I, I thought, well, maybe it's over there. 
for, and I again I had no logic I wasn't reacting with any real serious forethought or understanding but I made my way toward that little grove of trees which was about 60 feet from where I was it took me about 10 or 15 minutes to just oh. literally crawl to that place and I kind of fell down into a little little crevice in the dirt and I got back up and I pushed my way through that brush and right in front of me was this big black thing and I it, I call it for no other reason an obelisk it was black like like stone like like marble like black marble it had six definite sides to it it was it was blunt in the front and the back but yet it was pointed it had no seams it had no windows no doors no landing gear and it was three feet off the ground so it's hovering three feet off the ground well it wasn't hovering it was like <laughs> it was anchored to the air and I got up and kind of stood up and actually put my hand on it and the sound was coming from that this harmonic tone was coming originating from that and as I touched it it was cold like dry ice it actually burned the inside of my hand and if you've ever touched dry ice you know it, it yes. sticks yeah so it pulled the skin right off of my hand and and I pulled back and for a second, just for a second, I felt like I was in some big, huge room, like like an airplane hangar that was totally right. black. And I could see way across it just some little tiny lights that were way, you know, maybe a thousand feet away. And then a second later, I was back outside. Now, I don't know if that actually happened or if it was just... I was so going into shock because of the way I was breathing. Right. I don't know. But nevertheless, that's what I felt. And when I touched this thing, the tone changed. The tone became more pleasant, almost like like a pleasant, more pleasant harmonic sound, a, a not so low. And I don't know what this thing was. Some people say, oh, it was a craft. Well, it, it was small. It was only about 10 or 12 feet long, three and a half feet wide, and two to two and a half feet high. Yep. That now, I will tell you, I, I, again, I was hyperventilating. I was afraid I was going to go into shock, and I thought, I got to drink some water. I've got, I've got water in my pack. That's right. I have water in my pack. So I made my way back through that little path back up to where I set my pack down when I had jumped through the bush, the, br the right. brush to see Susie. And I, I took everything, started taking things out of my pack. And I had a couple cameras. I had a, some day rations, some dog food. Uh, I had a, a knife, pocket knife. Um, but I had a canteen of water. So I drank, just sat there and drank the water thinking, I don't know if I'm going to survive this because I could barely breathe. It was it was like having the worst asthma attack, if you can imagine, yes. that you could ever have. Uh, every breath was terribly labored and hurt my chest really, really bad. And I had been throwing up about every five, six breaths. 
and there was nothing more coming out. So I knew I had to drink some water. So I made myself slow down and I made myself drink this water to regain a little bit of composure. And while I sat there, I thought I saw everything that was on the ground that I had taken out of the pack. And I thought, I've got my camera. My God, I've got, I have a camera. I'm going to take a picture of this because I know none of it is real. I know none of this could be here. I'm, I'm, this is an illusion. Yep. I'm, I'm just totally out of my mind. So if I take pictures, that'll prove to me that, you know, that I'm, I'm not losing my mind, that really this, none of this exists. Right. And maybe my dog's alive somewhere. So, so that was the logic. That was the warped logic that I was using because the camera was familiar to me. It was like a piece of something from my life pre prior to this event. So to me, it was a, a logical, rational thing that gave me a little bit of comfort because I knew the camera. Right. It's, and, it seemed like you were you needed something to ground you at that point. Exactly. And, and just to bring exactly. you back, back to... Uh, um, to you know a point where you're like okay let's figure this out um and right. i like the logic because that, was, that's a psychological logic to to the and thing I like was, and i i think i was even afraid to figure it out i was scared to death people need to know that that this event wasn't done by somebody who was courageous it was done out of an act of fear i was so afraid not only when i hit the creature because I, as far as I was concerned, it was going to kill me next. And, right. And I was defending my dog all in the same instant. And, and my head was spinning after it happened. So my whole thought pattern was to find something, like you say, to ground me back to a little bit of my paradigm, my right. reality. So I grabbed the camera. I had four rolls of film, and I just started taking pictures of everything. Now, this is a non-digital Nikon 35-millimeter camera. This was prior to digital. And, yeah, and I want to thank you very much, and everybody should be thanking you. Um, you did give us permission to you, uh, put these photos up that we've been seeing. So when we see, when you're listening to the, if you're listening to this, um, they're gonna be, there's going to be the video version of this as well. And make sure you check it out because then you will see pictures of everything that Dr. Reed is describing um, and the evidence that he's brought forth so you can actually look for yourself. Um, so, so. I, so I just started taking pictures. I took yep. pictures of, of the, the body on the ground, of his face, of his whole body, uh, where Susie had fallen. Uh, there was just a small amount of this white powder or ash. Uh, I took pictures of this black obelisk floating in the air and I took everything I had I took all the film that I had and then I said okay well I have my little video camera I'm gonna use that so I just started thrashing around pointing the video camera at all these different things the same things the body the spot where my dog had fallen this black floating thing which made no sense right and, and and in fact, nothing made any sense. The whole area, a whole four or 500 foot circle of this area became totally foreign. It no longer felt like the normal forest that I was used to. It was 
stone quiet. You could not hear the birds or the air that you normally could hear. The ground felt spongy, almost like it was wet, even though it wasn't. Something was happening. And I don't know if it was totally produced by this obelisk thing or not. Now, I've had 22 years to speculate, and I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people all over the world who have also seen things that look like this. And, and so I'm not alone. This is a, a very wide, widely seen object. Now, prior to this event, I was not into any of this. That's one of the questions I, yeah, I wanted to ask you. I was a medical you. doctor. I, I dealt with facts and hard science. I didn't really like science fiction or even fiction at all. I didn't have a real place for that in my life. Right. But nevertheless, it was happening, and I couldn't make any sense out of it. Nothing was making sense. Yep. But I took the I took the video. I ran the videotape. I ran all through there. I fell down. I'm sick during the video. I mean, you can hear it all. And and then I thought, I got to get out of here. I got to find a way to get out of here because it's now late and it gets dark in the woods. And it oh, was yeah. like an hour back to my car. And I thought, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can do it. So I sat drinking some more water and I thought, okay, all the stuff from my pack was on the ground and I had a thermal blanket. And for those who don't know what a thermal blanket is, it's something you take when you go camping or you go hiking in case you have to stay overnight and it can keep you warm. It's literally a mylar plastic, a heavy yep. plastic that you can wrap around you to keep the, your body heat in. And I had this all folded up in its little pack, you know, ready to go for an emergency. Well, I saw it laying on the ground and I thought, I'm, I'm going to hide this. I'm going to hide this body because I've just murdered something and I'm in trouble. I'm going to be in big trouble and I got to bring somebody back to help me, to help me figure this right. out so they don't think that I'm just a murderer. And, and that's what was going through my head. Not any real logic, right. just a path to follow. It, it's very interesting you use the term murdered. Um, I think murder, well, and, and, you you were doing your best, in my opinion, to defend yourself and to defend your 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 property, which is your dog, and the, their your lives. So I don't consider that murder as much as it's uh, an un, you know, wanted killing or something to that effect. Either way, you did what you had to do. Murder, I I, at, I see well, it at, more at premeditated. Moment, right at that moment. My dog was not there. Right. My dog was not to be seen. So all I was rationalizing was that I had killed this thing. Right. And there was nothing around to show that I had defended anything. Exactly. So you're getting that legality going in your head. Like, oh, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to jail. And, and yep. I also, for the most part, I mean, again, I have to say, I was scared to death of what was happening to my body and what had happened to my dog and what this thing was. I had no idea. I mean, I did have a moment to where I could put this little stick in its face so I knew it wasn't a mask, it wasn't <laughs> a rubber mask. Um, but again, I didn't want to go, my mind did not want to go searching for what this was. My mind was searching for how do I survive this right. moment. How do I get I out from so here and back home? 
Exactly. Yep. So I took the thermal blanket and I thought, okay, I'm going to cover it up and I'll put stones or something around it so animals don't get to it. Why I thought that, I don't know. It just seemed like a, a smart thing to do. But there weren't enough rocks because of where this is. There really wasn't a lot of loose rocks to put on it. So I thought, okay, well, maybe if I, if I cover it up and maybe pick it up and put it over to the side of the path, up this path a little bit, which was the way I had to go back to my car. Right. Maybe I can just put some branches or a, some sticks or, or something on it to preserve it so the animals won't eat it. And that's what I kept thinking. I kept thinking, I don't want the animals to disturb it. So I put the thermal blanket on the ground. I didn't want to touch it with my hands. Right. I kind of slid the thermal blanket kind of underneath. And as I did that, I felt that it was so light, I couldn't believe it. It was like 40 or 50 pounds at the most more a lot lighter than a child would be i mean extremely light so i put the blanket underneath it and then i covered it and kind of rolled it up into this thermal blanket and uh, you know kind of like a sleeping bag where right. you would roll it up and i i thought about it for just a couple seconds and i just started reacting not out of forethought but just out of nothing else that I could think of to do is I took the straps off of my pack and I tied it around in two places around the body, around the thermal blanket. And as I did so, I had to kind of move it to, to tie it. And again, I could see that it was so light. I actually picked it up with one hand and picked up my pack with my cameras and my other items in the other hand and I just started to walk back up the path and I figured okay I'll find a place I'll hide it I'll find a place to put it in the brush and I kept looking and then I'd stop and I'd get sick and I'd fall down and I'd gasp for breath for five or ten minutes and then I'd get up again and I'd walk a few more feet getting and sick I, again you know oh terribly this never stopped is this, this is this still do you think looking back on this is this part of the effect of whatever this uh biological entity was exuding from it or the field around it um well at the, at the moment i had no idea but since traveling all over the world talking about this i've talked to some people who have told me that they believe that either the black ship obelisk and I don't think it was a ship. I think it was more of a toolbox or a doorway. Was probably trying to protect this little guy. And and was sending out this harmonic tone and probably able to do it in such a way that it that it shocked me. It literally threw me to the ground with this sickness. So it was probably a defense mechanism. Because all of a sudden, this little guy was no longer moving around and was on the floor, totally right. dead or unconscious. And this ship, this toolbox, was looking for him with this tone, almost like reaching out to try to find where he was. And the only thing breathing and moving around was me. Right. And it, it may have 
it may have thrown out this sound that literally crippled me, but it also made me walk over to it. And for a moment, like I said, I felt like it absorbed me and threw me out. Maybe I was not the one he was looking for. Maybe there was a confusion of that. Yeah. I don't know. It's very interesting. And when you when when we when you look at the photos that you've you've taken and you look at the obelisk, um, it does look like a craft, and it does look like there's something hovering in the middle of the ground. But if you change your perspective a little bit, it also looks like it could be a doorway or a dimensional passage to someplace well, else. And that's, and that's what some people have speculated. They have said that literally, maybe it's it's a, a portal, a doorway, like to another dimension. Therefore, and, it was so anchored that it was literally anchored to our dimension. I mean, I pushed on it. I shoved on it. I was 190 pounds, and it wouldn't move a fraction of an inch, right. not a fraction. And it literally, I mean, I took, I took and removed the ferns from underneath it looking for some like kind of or... landing gear or something. As I moved a branch underneath it to remove the ferns, I could tell the density of the air changed as the stick would go underneath it. It would get very resistant, same as if you put it in water. And then once I got beyond the end of it, it would come up without any resistance. So it was emitting something directly down that made the air more dense. And definitely. Uh, right. And, and, but, you know, while you're taking this, this, uh, creature, this 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 body, with you. Wh what were the harmonics like coming off the obelisk? Was it continuing to purr or or, it was or yes, vibrate? It was continuing, continuing to make that same harmonic tone, the nicer one, the nice one, not the low, real ebbing, disturbing one. So I mean, and that tone felt like it was scratching at my mind, like at the back of my mind. It was actually I could feel it inside my head. Kind of like and a it, binaural beat, you know, the binaural beats that people use, you know, different theta waves and, and uh, where yeah, it kind of sort like. Of, but, but far stronger. Far stronger. I mean, so much so that it, it, I mean, it gave me a migraine headache being there. And I was there for almost three hours. <laughs> and I know that sounds insane, but it took me that long just to be able to move and breathe and, and. And now I had this thing in one hand wrapped up like a big burrito and, and I had my pack in the other and I'm walking thinking, I don't think I'm ever going to make it back to my car because it took over an hour to just get there right. with my dog when we started. Well, all of a sudden I was at my Jeep and I have no idea how that happened. So the, the time frame between you starting to walk and getting to your car was was like five minutes. It's five minutes. That's, and, and that's I, very interesting. I can't explain that. I have no idea what happened unless I was totally blacked out and able to walk. Yeah, and, I, and I mean that's a possibility. Hearing this now, um, some of the research that I w I've, I w I've been doing and um, is not just on uh, on the paranormal side. We're, we're talking about uh, quantum type of, of physics where. Uh, things are able to we're talking about portals so maybe that vibration that frequency which was just now recognized as another element to earth um into the 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 the, 
the dimension, um, maybe because of that connection to the obelisk uh, subconsciously, you were able to say, "You if you so you wish it, so it shall be." Ask and you shall receive, and you were like you saw it in your head, and you were able to move from point A to point B, A being distance away to your car in an instant. But because you're not, you know, you're not aware of what you can or cannot do. That right. that's why it seemed like like how did I get here? That that's as good a answer as any because uh, I I don't again I want to make it clear Brian not only right. to you and I know you know but I don't have all the answers. <laughs> this is the first time this kind of thing ever happened, and I had no instruction manual on how to deal with this day. Um, I got I put the the body in the back of my jeep. I had a used older jeep that I used for dog stuff. Right. I, I closed the door. I was just numb. I was barely able to, I was still breathing so hard. I, I was expecting to, to pass out from hyperventilating. I sat in the driver's seat for a long time, just sat there and, and the keys were in the ignition. I didn't start it. And I just looked over and we're, Susie always sat next to me in the passenger seat, and she wasn't there. And I, I thought to myself, what happened to my dog? Where, where is Susie? You know. And I even looked outside, like I was gonna, like I was looking for her. And then I looked in the rearview mirror, and I caught a glance of the edge of this thermal blanket, right? This silver and gold thermal blanket, and I knew something had happened. Something something bad had happened and so i got started the jeep and i started to drive home stopping about every 10 or 15 minutes to get out and throw up and walk around and try to calm down i drove from there about again about 15 minutes away was a ranger station a big ranger station that i knew of and i went there to get help i needed help there was nobody there. I went and banged on the door, but there was nobody there. So I got back in and I just started to drive home. That's the only thing I could think of. And again, stopping along the way, it, it was like 50 minutes to drive to my home. And, and the traffic was light and I would pull over and I'd stop and I'd throw up and gasp for breath and then I'd get back in. And I had become numb to what had happened. I didn't want to think about it. Right. I didn't want to even echo what had happened to my dog because I was so emotional that I, I just couldn't do that. I couldn't allow myself to go there. So I drove it, got home, I drove in my carport, and, and which was adjacent to my house, a separate garage from my house. And I just sat there for a long time, again, in the driver's seat, thinking, what's happened? What has happened to me? Right. Could this have really happened? Where's Susie? Where's my dog who was always with me? And again, I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw the thermal blanket in the back of the Jeep. And I thought something, something terrible has happened. And I, I don't know. And I, I had no reason other than I wanted to, to find some kind of comfort in all of this, my home gave me comfort. Being in my carport gave me comfort. So I got out of my Jeep and I, I thought, okay, well, my normal process was to unload my Jeep. 
before I would go in my house because the garage was right there. And so I just opened the door of my garage and I set the pack in there and I thought, there's the freezer. There's my old chest freezer in my garage. And I thought, what is in the back of my car is, is meat. I just thought of it as dead meat. And I thought, okay, I got to preserve that because it's going to rot. It's going to stink worse than it does. Right. Do I bury it? Do I hide it? Do I, you know, and I went through that process thinking, what do I do? And the best thing, the fastest thing seemed to do was pull the food uh, basket out of that freezer because it wasn't very full and, and just put it in there and close the door so I didn't have to look at it. I didn't have to think about it. So that's exactly what I did. I didn't do it because I was smart. I didn't do it because it was the right thing to do. I did it because that's the only thing that came to mind in right. this process. Well, and you, mean, meanwhile, I'm still violently sick. Right. And, and, and this didn't stop. I mean, it did not stop. Well, and, and I was afraid I was going to go into either a coma or definitely hyperventilating so much that I was going to pass out. So, I and, mean, and, we're putting it in the freezer, was that like in, in many ways uh, you wanted to preserve it to buy you time just to get your head straight? It, was, I wanted it, to get it out of sight. Right. Is really, really the biggest thing. I mean, I, I, the first thought was, I'll just set it on the garage floor. And then when I went in there, I thought, oh, there's the freezer right there. Right. And it was an older freezer that somebody had given me. I mean, it worked. But, but you know, I didn't have a lot of food in it. There was just a few things in a basket. Right. Um, yep. So that's why I did it. That was my logic. That was my reasoning. And then I, I closed the freezer. I closed the door to the garage. And I walked you know, 30 feet to my house and opened the door and went in and stood in the shower with all my clothes on for, I don't, I don't know how long, I don't know how long, just because I was a mess. I mean, I, you just can't imagine. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine, but for your listeners, just think of the worst sickness and, and, you know, filling your pants and throwing up for an hour or more and you're so tired and your limbs are just exhausted from this process and you can barely breathe. And I was afraid. I was afraid for my life, not from the creature. I was, because it was dead. I was afraid that I was so sick that I was gonna either have a stroke or a heart attack because of the way I was breathing. So I was constantly telling myself, slow down, slow your breathing down. You've got to do this. So after the shower, I went and sat on my couch, just numb, not thinking about anything, just totally zoning out to the point where I finally said, okay, I got to call. I got to call my girlfriend and tell her what happened <laughs> and tell her that, that, you know, Susie's dead. And, and I didn't even know how to do that. I didn't know how to even come right. up with the words. So, but I called her. She wasn't home. So I left a message. Please call me. You know, this was the answering machine days. Yeah. Remember, everybody has to remember, this was in 1996, you know, way back when we didn't have all this technology that we do nowadays. Yeah, deeper time. <laughs> uh, I called my best friend who was uh, a guy named Gary. He was an architect. I had known him since high school. So we had known each other for a long time. 
And I called him, and again, he wasn't home, but I left a message, Gary, call me. It's extremely important. Susie is dead. And, and I hung up, and I sat there for a while not knowing what to do, not knowing how to even think about this. I was reeling in all of these emotions saying, this could not have happened. This really cannot have happened. And I kept thinking, some kind of logic. I've got to have a path of, of logic here. So my mind actually told me, Susie must have died somehow. Susie must be dead. Susie's the one that's wrapped up in that thermal blanket. And you brought her home. That was the right thing to do. That's what you did. And that's what I made myself believe to the point where I wanted to go out and see her. I wanted to have some comfort with my dog. And, and I know as strange as that sounds, that's what I felt. I wanted to be close to her. And I, I thought, she's in the freezer. I've put her there. And I opened the freezer. I took this out, laid it on the floor. And it wasn't my dog. It was this little gray being with a hole in its head about two and a half inches. Its skull and skin breached, its cranial material and fluid everywhere, its blood seeping from the wound. It wasn't what I wanted to see, but it was the reality I was dealing with. I closed the, the thermal blanket, I put it back in the freezer and I went in the house and the same thing started to happen over and over in my mind. And it's a preservation thing. What do you do next? How do you logically put this into some order? So I started thinking, okay, I went on a hike. I got sick. Uh, Susie is gone and I don't know where and, and something, and I brought something home. But as soon as I would get to that point, my mind would slip and say, this can't be, this cannot be the reality. So I went through this until finally my friend came over and knocked on my door and, and I explained to him what sort of happened. And I was, again, I was so sick. He was concerned that I was dying from this sickness. And I was angry because I didn't have an answer. I didn't have the a right. answer to say, what happened? What is this? So, and, and he said, well, Jonathan, he says, you know, this is, it's gotta be an illusion. You had a stroke, you know, right. or you died. And, and this has gotta be cause Jonathan, this just doesn't happen. And I, I was so angry that he kept saying that I said, go to the garage and look. <laughs> For yourself. Right. That's and what I was going to ask you. You know, like. I went with him and I said, look. And I opened the freezer. I laid it on the ground and I opened it. And I think he went stark white. And he didn't move. He just didn't move. And I kept saying, see, see, see what's happened. See what this caused this. And I said, Susie's dead. It killed Susie. And I was, I was angry and emotional and and we both just limped into my house and sat on the couch and i don't think we said anything to each other for probably 5 or 10 minutes no words yep. at all and 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 he just said to me he said jonathan what are you going to do and i said what do you mean what am i going to do i don't know what to do i don't know 
I don't know how to survive this. I'm still breathing so hard that I'm going to feel like I'm going to pass out. He said, Jonathan, this is something else. This is something totally. And I said, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. And he started to say, this is, I think this is an alien. And I said, I don't want to label it. I don't want to put a label on this. I don't want to think that way. I want to just calm down and breathe and not be sick and not feel the way I do. And and so for the next few hours, we just talked. We just talked about it. I actually took the videotape out of the camera. He put it in the VCR and played it. And he could see exactly what was in the forest. He saw it all. He saw the right. body. He saw where Susie dropped. He saw this black thing floating in the air from all different angles. I walked all around it. As I would take the video, it would start to distort. The closer I would get to this black craft, the video I could see in this little half-inch black and white viewfinder on my video camera, right. I could see that it was distorting. And I got angry while I was walking around. I said, you know, damn it, work, you know? And I was shaking the camera thinking it's it's the camera. But after years and years of looking at this, the craft, the, the black object was producing some kind of magnetic energy that would make the video distort. The closer I would get to it, it would distort more. The further I was away, and I knew that in the woods. I could tell that it was not distorting the further away I was. Yeah, it, you know. And you can clearly see it. This is in broad daylight. You can clearly see what this thing is. It's so, crystal clear, so actually. Literally, this is the first day. I brought the body home. I put it in the freezer. And for the next couple days, I just tried to get better. And Gary said, well, we've got to call people. We have to find out what to do with this. Who do you, you call know? at this point? I mean, this is, this again, 1996. Um, you know, the whole idea or concept about UFOs and aliens are still treated as um, put the tinfoil hats on. Who do you just, you know, and I understand what Gary's point of view, because sometimes when things take place, you you two are saying the the craziest things like are you out of your mind we have a dead alien here who am i going to call oh, and i was out of my mind i was out right. of my mind with this crippling sickness so literally i i handed the hat the captain had over to gary and i said <laughs> you can do whatever you want i don't care i'm not i'm just i'm not up to doing this i couldn't go back to work cuz i felt terrible but yet i wanted to go to the hospital to get better and so I, I just kind of let him do it. And I said, call who you want. And he started calling people. He called the Air Force and he called the Army. And he called uh, 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 da Peter Davenport at some UFO reporting center. And what was the uh, reaction of these people when, you know, eventually? Most, most of the time, I mean, they would say, yeah, right, and hang up, you know, or, or don't waste our time. Now, Peter Davenport didn't say that. He basically said, well, you need to talk to somebody who knows how to handle this kind of thing. I think he mentioned MUFON. Right. Mutual UFO Net Network. I had never heard of it. Gary hadn't heard of it, but we called him. There was a number for it. And we called him, and Gary said, well, what if 
somebody had a body and and they brought it back and this kind of and he basically gave a little kind of example what would you do what should somebody do that had and the person on the other end of the phone obviously said uh well if you really do have this we need to 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 talk to you in person and of course i didn't want anybody in my house right you know i was afraid that i'd killed something and but gary said no we need to do this and so I took my took the film out of my camera. We took it to a local uh, developing shop. There's a lot of those around, you know. They made prints. You know, a machine just throws the prints out. You know, uh, four by six prints, thirty five millimeter film, and and so the next day we had all these pictures, and it was clear what it was. Right. You know, I mean, and and it's really curious because for those that don't understand, because we're living in 2019. Um, I was just intrigued by that you just saying that you going to a local like a photo mat or whatever. Exactly. And I know people that used to work in these places and they looked at everybody's photos. So when well, you, when you okay. came walking through that door, what was the reaction of well, the kid or the person know, like uh here you go sir? Well, well, what's interesting is it was a it was a place that I had frequented many times. Right. So I knew the lady who was the owner of it there was i mean it was small it was like two people operation right and they they knew me by name cuz i you know was an amateur photographer and so gary took the film in and put it in his name because we immediately started thinking jonathan you shouldn't put your name on anything something else is going to happen right and i don't know why he thought that way but he did and he took the film in, I picked it up, and when I picked it up, the woman was there that I knew, she said, hi, how are you? She said nothing about these pictures. And the reason is, when they load the film into this automated machine, right. all it does totally inside is print, you know, literally making proofs of the film that happened to be four by six pictures. They go into a tray, they pick them up, <coughs> to an envelope and they go on she did not look at them she actually because i asked her i said later i said did you right. look at what was and she said no i was busy i was that's you know running all kinds of film yeah it, and, you know some people are 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 a little bit more cordial with their with your privacy um and and, and i think you know, it was a situation where you know she knew me i didn't look very good i looked like i was sick and she was more concerned with that and uh, very nice people. Years later, I went and talked to them. I showed them what they had developed. I explained it and they were fascinated by it. They knew more about that kind of thing right. than I did. Thank you for watching part one of the Dr. Jonathan Reed interview. Hey, this is Brian Bowden. I want to extend a deep thanks to Purple Planet. You guys rock. You're listening to Dobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. The opinions expressed on Dobo Boomy are of that of the host and his guests.